ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. Watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Bayheim! Wow, does that silence it a little bit? Schrader takes. It's a two-man rush. Schrader steps Don't up. Fit. Pop pass up the middle. Got Tucker's got it. Room to run. 15, 10. Hit, oh. hit in. Gregory, touchdown. The Bills make me want to Allen looks to his left. Fires left side. It go to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes the catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing in the miss. It is over. The Boston Red Sox. Baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On the Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7, ESPN Radio, you the road, heard, 96.5 FM, heard, wherever you are, whatever you are doing on the ESPN app, all great ways to hang with us today, oh look at that, it's 27 degrees outside, very good, my old high school number, a shout out to uh, the X-Man's all-star lacrosse career that uh, came crashing down after that. 27, it's a good number. That means we're going to have a good show. But, baby, hope everybody had a, a terrific uh, Valentine's Day. Oh, my favorite holiday. <laughs> so I got my wife a Valentine's Day card. As a matter of fact, I got her two with a nice surprise inside. And I come home last night from uh, teaching at the fine Newhouse School of Communications, and I see that they're unopened. And I said, well, you know, like, happy Valentine's Day, right? And she just kind of looks at me. She's like, you don't believe in Valentine's Day. What's that? I was like, okay, yep. Uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be over here sleeping on the couch uh, if, uh, if you need me. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I guess I dug that hole. But I'm willing to fall on that sword for you guys out there. I hope you had a lovely Valentine's Day regardless, even though it is. One of the great scams in American history. We're back. We're ready to roll. It's Tuesday, and we've got a lot to get into. We have an abbreviated edition of the program because at 545, we will kick it back to the Carrier Dome, the Shays and Higgins program, with the Higgins portion of the program live at the Carrier Dome this afternoon. We'll kick it back to Brian Higgins at the Dome at 545 for Syracuse women's basketball. The men's team laying low until a very busy stretch of games starts Saturday. The women's team is in the midst of a very busy stretch of games, including tonight. So we will kick it out uh, to Brian a little early at 545. So that will uh, take us off the air a little early. So let's uh, jam in as much as we can here over the next couple of hours. And you can make yourself a part of it, 437-7644. Brent Axe Media on Twitter and the live chat at QSportsTalk.com. Humming for you. QSportsTalk.com, a magical website where you can go. You can watch the radio program. It's not voodoo. It's not magic. It's just modern technology, friends. Sprinkled with love, though. QSportsTalk.com. 
Hello, friends. Where you watch the show, there is a live chat so you can opine as much as you'd like to. Throughout the show, it's a rolling conversation. I mean, between you and me, you don't even have to talk about what I'm talking about on the show. You guys can just have your own conversations. You can share recipes for all I care. But it's a great, live, engaging conversation. And what happens is when the radio audience goes to commercial breaks, our friends on Q Sports Talk do not because we keep the microphones on, we keep the conversations going, and as a matter of fact, often you guys kind of get your own topics, your own conversations. It takes on a life of its own. It's a beautiful thing at QSportsTalk.com. We have one guest joining us today, as he does uh, throughout the college basketball season. My buddy, your buddy, everybody's buddy, Buddy Beheim, brought to you by Empower Federal Credit Union. We'll get final thoughts from Buddy on that Virginia Tech game, what Syracuse does with so much time off. And while we've spent some time this year talking to Buddy about all the things you would imagine we talked to him about, there's one thing we haven't asked him about that we kind of should have by now, and today we did. So you'll hear that conversation later in the program. Hot takes. I love how quickly we're anointing people, Hall of Famers, and I don't know why people in my business feel the need to off every Super Bowl, every championship event, every big event, make something the greatest blank this ever and this guy's a hall of famer and this it's like sometimes it's just a game sometimes it's just somebody won somebody lost and we don't have to make any grand declarations afterwards right not to be the old man on the porch here but some of the stuff i'm hearing is pretty ridiculous the ratings as you can imagine were through the roof now super bowl ratings are always big it's just a matter of how big were they based on how the game was based on streaming numbers and kind of the modern way that people watch the super bowl that one television event every year that you can count on a gangbusters live audience. So how big was it this year? We'll tell you about that. And kind of sad to report that uh, today would have been and should be pitchers and catchers. But of course, uh, baseball continues to fight with itself, and I'm kind of wondering how many people really care about that. Did I just inform many of you out there that was supposed to be the case? Oh, is that supposed to be today, right? So we will get into that. Interesting news out of uh, Duke land, a book by Ian O'Connor, in the process in which Duke handed over the reins from Mike Krzyzewski, currently on a retirement tour that makes it stop in Syracuse next weekend, to John Shire. And it kind of makes you think about, well, when the day comes here, sometime in the year 2045 or so, when Jim Beheim hands off the reins to the clone of Jim Beheim that they have somewhere in the back of the carrier dome or whoever it shall be, right? Is that process going to be similar to the one we're hearing about at Duke? So we'll have that conversation later on. But I find this time of year interesting, especially for my friends that are in the national media, that do national sports talk radio shows. And I always kind of joke around and, and break their chops a little bit because they all take vacations after the Super Bowl, right? And I'm like, what? It's, uh, what? Got nothing to talk about now, right? Huh? The little football's gone. You got to milk that Super Bowl for all it's worth. And then off on vacation we go, right? Because the national sports scene does hit a bit of a lull. Now, I think in the world we're in today with FanDuel, right? Promo code Brent in Syracuse, promo code Block in Utica. You could always make things more interesting by betting on games. Right, you can always make this is. I'm not even doing the FanDuel ad. This is just the reality of the situation. But why not put in that promo code Brent or promo code Block on your FanDuel sportsbook ad? 
So you can watch a random NBA game, put a little something on that and the parlay and all the prop bets and everything that's available on your FanDuel Sportsbook app, and that makes it more interesting, right? I'm a hockey guy, so I'm always engaged this time of the year. It's post-All-Star break. Things are getting interesting. You know, Jack Eichel is getting back on the ice tomorrow, but I realize I'm in a smaller community there. As noted, as we'll get into during pitchers and catchers, were supposed to happen today, as we'll discuss in hot takes. And, you know, you can start, you know, bridging that gap to the NFL draft, pardon me, and some other things. But you kind of hit a bit of a lull, right? If you're an NBA fan, if you're into it. A hockey fan, you're into it and some other things. But after going from just this massive, engaged, like, three weeks of football bonanza to, oh, what's going on now? Now, here in Syracuse, New York, it's different for us because we're engaged day in and day out with college basketball, particularly Syracuse, specifically the ACC, but some people have turned that into a love for the sport itself and they're engaged in it. But this is when things typically kick into gear for us, particularly the last five or six years when here on February 15th or so, the day or two after the Super Bowl, you looked at the situation and you weren't sure if Syracuse was going to make the NCAA tournament, and that's what made it interesting. So bracketology watch and the bracket matrix and the quad system and all those things that we have become intimately familiar with, you just kind of kick that into gear. Well, as we sit here on February the 15th, that just doesn't seem likely. That just doesn't seem like the same conversation that we can have. It's unrealistic that this team is going to remain engaged in that conversation. The one reason I'm not completely shutting the door on it is, look, there's just a lot of big games left on the schedule, and if this team can make some noise in those games, which I don't believe they're going to, but the last thing I want to do is make a grand declaration today and then have old takes exposed two months from now, (laughs) circle back on that, and remind me how wrong I was. Right, But look, this team is 13-12. and They don't have the resume. They're 0-6 in quad one games. It's They're missing a key player in Jesse Edwards. Like The reasons to be realistic and believe about this are getting fewer and far between. So it's interesting how they handled that. Now, Jerry McNamara talked about this earlier today on Orange Nation. Let's listen. Uh, Yeah, I think everybody is kind of – fully aware of where they are I think um, as a player you know as a coach you don't really talk about those things you kind of just talk about game by game in the moment type situations but um, you know back then even in 2006 like the league was so good um, we, we it's not that we necessarily we went on a run we didn't necessarily need to go on a run I mean we were seven and nine in league and we beat Cincinnati and people just assumed we were in um, so a little bit different scenario. I think this group has still f- some work left before we get to ACC tournament play. So uh, I don't think you can start to evaluate where you are until you finish your regular season going into conference play. So the most important thing for us uh, is continue to focus on what's right in front of you. And right now, the, this this stretch we have in front of us is obviously important. We're going to get some opportunities against some teams that are perceived to be NCAA tournament teams. That is Jerry McNamara earlier today on Orange Nation with uh, Paul Sibilia and uh, Eric Columbia sitting in the air chair in that instance. So it really makes you think about what kind of team we're going to see and what specifically we need to look out for because that outlook is different now. If you still believe this team can make a tournament run, then God bless you, but it's just not realistic. 
So what should we be on the lookout for? What are the key things as they're in a lull now? But, man, is this thing just going to get intense with five games in nine days starting Saturday at the Dome against Boston College? Well, we thought we'd wake up the voice guy and do exactly that. So, uh, hello, you, you awake, sir? Number five. He's always ready, man. He was in a deep sleep. He was like the genie in the bottle, and we just woke him up, and there he was. True pro, that voice, man. Uh, how they play. Not just wins and losses, but how they play, how they survive that stretch, how a team that's 356th in the country in bench minutes gets through this without Jesse Edwards, how Frank Anselm, and, and Frank is, you know, spoiler alert, going to be a part of, of this list with his own number, but how he handles the bigger minutes, how the bench is incorporated, if at all. But just I'm wondering how they get through this with not only such a short bench, but the intensity of the games going from a Saturday to a Monday to a Wednesday to a Saturday to a Monday, and you're talking about some good teams in that stretch. Can they get through that? These are 18 to 23-year-olds in the best shape of their life, and they know how to prepare, and you're going to hear Buddy later in the show on how they're going to approach that, but they're also only human, and there's travel involved there, and they're going to play as hard as they can play. I don't doubt this team's will and determination, but how they play in that stretch literally is going to be something to watch. Number four. The schedule. I brought it up a moment ago. I mean, to play Boston College at home on Saturday is a game that Syracuse should win, but as we saw in that first matchup, the BC made things interesting inside. They showed maybe that things go right. They can at least give Syracuse a challenge. They just couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat in that game, and Syracuse eventually pulled away. But now without Jesse, if I'm Boston College – I'm not saying I smell blood in the water, but I see a plan. I see a way specifically because you just saw this team. But, man, after that, look, I think you should beat Georgia Tech, but it's a second game in three days against a team you're not really familiar with quite yet. It's a game that got moved around. You play, you travel, you go to Notre Dame Wednesday night, good team. Okay, you do that. You come home, you take a breath, and it's just going to be the hype of the Duke game mostly around Jim Beheim and Mike Krzyzewski, so that's good for the players because they're in the backdrop this time. It's going to be all about the coaches. If anything, those are coaches that try to downplay things when it's about them. I think the smart strategy is to make it about you in those two days if you're Jim Beheim, Like, put it all on you to shield your team because they're going to be coming out of a, a, a real interesting stretch, and we'll see what their record is to that point, right? So you got the hype of the Duke game and everything that goes into that and the event that that has become here in Syracuse, New York. Big crowd at the Dome, the whole thing, and how they play against that Duke team. I'm going to be fascinated because they just did not match up at all the first time around, and now you don't have Jesse Edwards this time around. Then you play that game, turn around, and go to North Carolina two days later. That schedule, I mean, the way that thing played out. It doesn't always work out this way. You try and kind of stack up the brand names and hope they live up to reputation. And then you do get a breather in a few days off, and you got a Miami team finishing out the season. That was, you know, when they made that schedule, I don't think anybody looked at that last game and said, oh, man, Miami is the home finale. And what we think will be senior day for Buddy and Jimmy and a few other players getting ready to move on, right? But Miami turned out to be good. That's why you play the games, folks. That's why the schedules are made the way that they are. They're made for television events that they are, and knowing that Syracuse is a team that usually is straddling that NCAA tournament line. Well, that's not the case this year, but that schedule is still an 
absolute bear. Number three. Benny needs a breakout. Now, I'm not going to use this forum to advocate for more playing time for Benny Williams, but by default, he's going to get it. And there was a time when I felt like advocating a little bit more, and certainly that was a big topic of discussion among the fan base, but he's just not living up to his end of the bargain on one particular thing. And that's on the offensive side of the ball. It doesn't change the fact he needs that breakout. He needs that moment. I've seen Benny come into games and grab rebounds. I've seen Benny come into games, make great block shots, hold his own on defense, kind of tempt fate, if you will, and tempt the fan base to say, man, that kid should be out there more. He's certainly one of the more athletic players on the team, but he has not done anything on the offensive end. He came close last game. There was a breakaway dunk there that missed, and it's just think back to every game he plays, and you look at the offensive numbers, and they're not there. So I think his minutes are going to depend on matchups. When they go to that small lineup, I think just by attrition he's going to play more. Only played three minutes the other night because you didn't necessarily need him, if you will, based on how the lineup was going. But he does need that breakout, right? And I think he'll get the opportunity to get it, whether he cashes that in is a whole different thing. Number two. Slowly but surely, this defense has been getting better. The problem with the Virginia Tech game was not the defense. The problem was the offense shut down in the last six minutes of that game. I'm not saying the defense is on the level it needs to be, nor will it get there, but what you had to look for when we were having this conversation you know, a few weeks ago was once – you establish what the rotation is firmly. And you're starting, I mean, Jesse Edwards was up there in blocks and how players were feeding off that. There were still some weaknesses on defense that had to be, you know, you had to tighten the screw a couple more times. But, I mean, that defense has been passable the past few games. It's it's done enough. It's not good enough. It never was going to be that good based on the limitations that were there. But it was not the problem in the Virginia Tech game. And if Syracuse is going to get a big win, Okay, because if you think about this season, what's the signature moment that you're going to take away from this season? There's still plenty of big games to come, so I don't even want to, if, if we're having this conversation, you know, I'm, I'm writing this in, in pencil at this point. But when you're looking for what am I going to take away from the season, particularly if they don't make the tournament, if you're going to pull off one of these big wins, we know Syracuse can outscore anybody on any given night, but if you play just enough defense it only helps your cause there and I do feel like there were some things starting to come around there and that relates to number one on the list. number one and that's how Frank holds down the fort the other night he did exactly what was asked of him he played 37 minutes he grabbed 15 rebounds the offense changes a bit you don't necessarily run the offense through him but how he gets comfortable and, and Jim Beheim talked about that on uh, Gomez and company this morning about where he's at at practice, and the benefits that will come knowing that he's the guy down the stretch. Five games in nine days is going to be tough, but this week gives us a chance to work on some things, get more familiar with Frank being at the center position, but with Barama, you know, he got in foul trouble Saturday. He had a pretty, he had a good practice yesterday. He seems to be getting back into the swing of it. Four days of practice for him will be good. And then, uh, you know, obviously a really, really tough stretch run. Jim Beheim this morning on TK99. Frank holding down the fort. The defense, Benny needs a breakout. 
the tough schedule, how they play. Those are the five things I'll be keeping my close eye on that I know about. There's always interesting things that will develop that are unseen at this point. We know how big the games are. Can they grab a signature moment that you can hold on to? Say, at the very least, they beat this team. They did this. That's still yet to come. When I can, when I look in the rearview mirror this season so far, I think what you're going to remember more is probably that the Bayheims played together, or you know, Bayheim matched up against Shashevsky one last time. Like storyline stuff, not actual basketball stuff, right? Some good wins in there. I wouldn't call anything a signature breakout moment, but there's still plenty of time to grab that. On that note, we'll break. We'll talk a little more hoops on the other side here, including something else that Jim Beheim said today that I, th- I think is interesting. Buddy Beheim said to join us about an hour from now, presented by Empower Federal Credit Union in our weekly conversation with Buddy, how this team is going to kind of pace out a long week of practice and some other things he's thinking about going into what's going to be an insane stretch of games for this team. Hot takes to come, and remember, we're off a little early for Syracuse women's basketball at 5 45 pregame show live from the dome with the great Brian Higgins. The great Lee Baldwin joins us now to see how the market did on this Tuesday, February the 15th, day after Valentine's Day. Uh, Lee, happy Valentine's Day uh, post one to you, my friend. Right back at you. Uh, and uh, happy Valentine's, Brent. Uh, stocks had a uh, were full love today. They uh, staged a nice rally uh, up as Ukraine fear subsided. Our diamond goes to Airbnb, which rallied up 14 bucks on strong fourth quarter report here after hours. And our dog, I'm going to go with Avis budget, down about 12%, even though revenues were over $2.5 billion. And uh, that surprised Wall Street to the upside, but they took it down. You ever stay so there in, you have it. You ever stay in an Airbnb, Lee? I have, yes. It's did great. You, did you have a good, I was going to say, did you have a good experience with it? I had a great experience, yeah. I think. Uh, okay. I think there's something there. Okay. So, all right. Well, I mean, they're on the biggest stock market. Ho- biggest, so. ho- biggest hotel chain in the world without ever having to uh, clean a room. That's incredible. Very interesting concept. Yeah. I'm still so. old school. I don't travel <laughs> that much, but when I do, I just like have it in the frame of mind to stay in a hotel. But I don't know. Maybe I got to come around on this. I think this Airbnb thing <laughs> might be going places. Lee, I might have to jump around. <laughs> We're going to broaden your horizon. I'm, I sound like the guy that discovered the cell phone like 20 years later. Like, oh, my goodness. You can do all these things on this little device here? My goodness. <laughs> they have those? <laughs> Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Brad. There he goes. The one and only Lee Baldwin, folks. Go see him and his great crew. You hear Lee and Mike and Bill and all the guys and gals at Lee Baldwin and Company who tell you how to ride the waves of the market. All the diamonds, none of the dogs. They're in Kaz, they're in Utica, LeeBaldwin.com for all the info. Stay right there. You're on the block, ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back, friends. Great to have you here on the block, ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com. Uh, for those that watch on QSportsTalk.com, they, uh, they just... Witnessed a failed coup. Come back from a little restroom break, and Jordan and Josh are, I don't know what they were doing. Chat, what were they doing? Like they were yelling and screaming and doing impressions of me, and they're sitting in my chair and taking over the place. What's the old expression? Cats away, the mice will play. 
That's how that goes. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, programming note, we're going to cut away a little early today because we've got Syracuse women's basketball tonight. 545 pregame, Brian Higgins on the call at the Carrier Dome and, and the women's team in the midst of their own busy stretch. The men's team laying low for a little bit, as we'll talk about with Buddy Beheim here in about 10 minutes. But uh, once they get back on the court Saturday, a pretty intense stretch of games uh, coming up for this team. But uh, the women's team already involved in a pretty intense stretch of games and Higo on the call tonight, 545 pregame, 6 o'clock, tip time at the Carrier Dome, and you'll hear it right here on your home for Syracuse women's basketball, ESPN Syracuse. So I will hear from Buddy in a few minutes here in our weekly chat with uh, Buddy Beheim. but I saw this today, and I wonder if you're like me, and this is where your mind goes. And in that busy stretch of games to come, of course, is the Duke game and the focus on Coach K versus Jim Beheim one last time. Maybe they meet in the ACC tournament, but that's the big one, right? That's the culmination, and, you know, we did this once at Cameron, but, you know, it's always interesting to see what teams do to honor Coach K. There's been some pretty unique gifts. There's been some creative. Josh Pastner at Georgia Tech, for example, wanted to have Bobby Kremens on the bench. It didn't work out last minute, unfortunately, but, you know, the retirement tour is on and how people not only look at the, the game itself, but, you know, it's different, though, when it's Beheim and Krzyzewski because these are the top two guys, two winningest coaches in the history of the game. I don't care what the NCAA says. I find it amusing that people are saying, oh, Jim Beheim is going to win a 1,000 games for a second time. Like, can we, like, not even acknowledge that and how ridiculous that is? If anything, he's chasing 1,100 wins. He's not chasing 1,000 wins. Like, tell the NCAA and, and they're, taking away wins thing to go shove it where the sun don't shine. I will not acknowledge that. I'm sure we've got some leftover t-shirts. Remember the t-shirts we gave away when Bayheim did get to a thousand wins, our city, our rules. I'm sure we got a few of those left. Maybe we can give away in the closet, but tell the NCAA, they can you know, take a long walk off a short pier with that stupid thing. Anyway, my point is, so I read this story today and look, I understand we've had this conversation a lot, but it's hard not to think about these things when stories like this pop up. And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, let me just uh, give you some details real quick. Uh, this is from ESPN. Officials at Duke wanted to hire former Blue Devil star Tommy Amaker to replace Mike Krzyzewski after he retires this year. But the coach wanted current associate head coach John Shire to take the job. That's according to a new book by author Ian O'Connor, due out next week, titled Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. There's a notes here that chronicles the fabled career of the Duke men's basketball coaches retiring after 42 seasons and five NCAA championships. He announced that this would be his last season June 2nd, with Shire named his successor the same day. Now, before I give you the details on this, remember how this works, okay? This is why I rarely do interviews with books. I get offers every week, all the time. I say no to 95% of them because, and look, one day... I want to write a book and I'll want to do this and I'll have to pick out the the part that sells and gets people's attention. And I know how this process goes, right? The process of selling books and hyping books is just that. It's a process, right? When you see notable names that are doing media tours all of a sudden, your immediate radar has to go out to say, okay, what are you selling? Typically, it's a book. Pete Rose famously didn't admit he bet on baseball until what? Oh, he had a book to sell, right? So that's the hook. You write the book. I didn't even mean that to rhyme. But the hook is 
okay, so you got this book. What's the most interesting thing that's going to get me into it, right? When we had, uh, when I made a rare exception, because Kirk Curb Street is Kirk Curb Street, I'm glad I read the book because, I mean, I would have thought to Kirk Curb Street anyway, but there was a lot of really cool Syracuse connections in there. But that's not what they were hyping up when they pitched me on doing that. I read the book. Yes, I can read. And I found some really cool Syracuse stories. So that related it to my audience. But I'm not just going to have people on the air because they're hawking books unless it's somebody I know or it's a book I feel you're interested in. Mike Waters wrote a great Syracuse basketball book a few years ago. Of course, we'll do something like that. So point being, they're going to take the juiciest thing that's going to generate buzz, put it out there, and it just so happens, oh, look, the book comes out Tuesday. Now, here's what they pulled out of this. Going back to that ESPN story, both Shire and Amaker, and I got to admit, this is pretty juicy if it's true. Both Shire and Amaker played for Shashevsky. Amaker from 82 to 87, Shire from 06 to 2010. Amaker was an assistant coach at Duke for nine seasons, but left for a head coaching job at Seton Hall in 1997 at the age of 31. Went on to coach at Michigan, of course, coach at Harvard. And then when the news came out that Shashevsky was retiring, there was speculation about, well, we're pretty sure it was going to be a Duke guy that took over. Amaker was a natural one, and then it turned out to be Shire. Now, as it notes here, O'Connor writes that Shashevsky asked Shire about the possibility of following him the day he told his assistant coaches of his decision to retire. Duke administrators, including Deputy Director of Athletics John Jackson and three others, ran a search to replace Coach K, and during that search, it became clear that University President Vincent Price wanted Amaker to get the job. But sources told O'Connor that eventually Shashevsky called Amaker in what the book describes as, quote, a very difficult conversation with his former assistant, during which he told Amaker that if he came back, he'd have to be an assistant for a year, which would bump another assistant off the bench, and it would create, quote, an awkward dynamic with Shire. So bottom line, Shashevsky wanted Shire to take over. He essentially told Amaker, according to this book, and it should be noted that Krzyzewski did not comment for the book or this story. But the implication from Ian O'Connor and talking to other sources, people close to the program, and all those buzzwords and code words you hear in these situations, is basically like Krzyzewski wanted Shire. Okay, so you know where this is going. The day sometime in the year 2045, when Jim Beheim finally retires, what I'm fascinated by most is not who takes over, honestly. It's the process. Who makes the call and how? Because what you're getting there is a little... Now, you'd be really stupid not to consult Mike Krzyzewski about who should take over as the head coach at Duke, but it's not a family business. It's Duke University. It's the most prominent basketball job in the country in terms of college basketball, and we'd like to make our decision our way. I feel like Syracuse should do the same thing. You'd be extremely unwise not to get the consult of the Hall of Fame head coach that's been there since 1976, but he should not make the decision. It's still Syracuse University, and it's still a prominent basketball position in the world of college basketball. It is my fervent hope that, that it is treated as such and not just a family business and junior takes over, right? There's some great candidates on that coaching staff that you'd also be stupid not to seriously consider, but do you just kind of take the easy way out? Maybe John Shire is the best candidate.
because the feeder system that Duke has provided, just so happens this time the feeder system leads to one seat down on the bench. I'm fascinated by that process. And look, book, this that's why I brought this up. Books, juicy details, pull out the most salacious thing, put it out there. It's it's a feeder system. And you got to be wary of these things. You got to be skeptical of these things. At the end of the day, they're trying to sell books. And by the way, you never want to put your best stuff out there because you want to give people reason to read the book. It's like watching a movie preview. You don't want the best stuff in the preview, but you want the preview to draw people in. So... I read that story, and not only is it interesting just because generally the details of it, but Krzyzewski do come in next week, and obviously whenever this goes down, and let me make this abundantly clear, I'm not saying it should go down tomorrow, next week, or even after this season, but it's going to happen relatively soon. And I've always been fascinated by that process because it's not a family business. You just happen to be the keeper of the flame. Jim Bayheim happens to have been the keeper of the flame for 46 years, which is unprecedented and will never happen again. But that doesn't mean he makes the call. That doesn't mean it's just what he says goes. And I'm not implying that's the case. And again, you'd be an absolute moron not to have a long conversation about who and what he thinks should be the process for the next guy. But at some point, you've got to escape that shadow. And that's when I read that, and again, books are books, and I'd feel a lot better about it if Shashevsky commented for this thing, and this is all kind of speculation. But if Shashevsky really did kind of step in there and kind of say, no, Shire's the guy, talk Amaker out of it, and the, if the university president, not saying he's right, but see, he had the right frame of mind of, well, we're going to do this our way with our process and not just let somebody who is moving on just dictate who takes over next. Like, if anything, sometimes the best thing to do is eliminate emotion and eliminate the obvious thing and be like, objectively, what is the best thing to do for this program going forward? Not just what's best in in the minds of the people that want to see a certain thing happen. Because you're still the steward of something bigger. So that's all I'm saying. And this is not about anybody in particular. I'm just saying when the day comes, it is my fervent hope that if it's John Wildhack or whoever is making the call at the time, that you eliminate that emotion, you eliminate the obvious things, and you just say, who's the best person for the job? Because there is a very talented pool of candidates out there. Somebody brought this up the other day on Twitter in a slightly different note, that if they felt, say, they had to fire Dino Babers after this season, that they've got to bring back Doug Marone. And I'm just like, Why would you box yourself in with one person who, yes, was successful in their time here? And I would think about if I was in that chair, but you know how many great, you know, assistant coaches, coordinators, and candidates there are out there? And you're just going to be like, no, bring back Doug. That's it. Like, why the urgency for that? That that, that wouldn't, that's just, that's not smart. Anyway, that's where my mind goes. I see that story today and I started to read into it and how much. Krzyzewski, again, according to the book, may have had a hand in kind of deciding who the successor is. And my media thought was, well, it's a process going to be here. And I hope it's not that. And on that note, we break. When we return, our weekly conversation with Buddy Beheim, presented by Empower Federal Credit Union. Don't go anywhere.